Go ahead and have a seat, church. And uh, kids, Miss Jamie's standing in the back right there, as she usually does every Sunday. And uh, some of you are already with her, but if you're not, uh, now's the cue. You can cruise back there and uh, have a great time. I, um, I want to say how much I appreciated uh, uh, sort of being remote last Sunday. I was uh, on the coast. We were in Cannon Beach, and uh, Internet works there. So um, we were able to tune in and worship with you and uh, once again enjoy just a superb message and presentation. Uh, John Moore, thank you again for uh, the uh, deep things of God that you present to us and share um, in my absence, and I really appreciate that. Um, and we, uh, we had a great time. Many of you have asked already this morning. We, we, um, Debbie was given a week away from chemo. And um, that was great. That was really great because it, um, it had a, certainly a physical effect, but I think the, uh, the, the surge of energy that came with being able to walk on a beach every day. And uh, we did. We walked every day. We walked like 15,000 steps a day on the beach. And we came home because I'm tired. So, <laughs> no, it, was, it was great. And just yesterday, Debbie, um, well, she went back on chemo, and so we're back to... Uh, somewhat depleted energy and uh, regular naps and things like that, but she planted her garden yesterday, and uh, so it was uh, it was great. And yeah, yeah. Hopefully, we'll have enough food to feed y'all. But um, I don't know. Um, I want you to do something that's um, not going to be difficult for you to do. You would not wish to do this. You try to. Fill your minds with other things and not have to do this. But I want you right now to think of um, your worst day ever. Okay? You think, man, how heavy can it get here? I know I know, it's Memorial Day weekend, but pastor, relax. Give it, let us breathe. But just think about it for a minute. And, and, and it likely involved some unimaginable loss. Uh, that's, that's my guess, that the common denominator that made it the worst day ever. It might have been a job. You, you, you didn't see it coming, and you got blindsided, and you lost a, a great job. It's not like you can't find another job, but that was a great job. Maybe that's your story, and it's like a deep wound in your soul. Um, it, it may be something about your health. You were living life doing whatever you did when it was normal for you and when, when, the, uh, when the health was all pointing in the right direction. But this thing came, and it changed everything. And for you, it's that day when you learned from the doctor or whoever it was that told you you've got trouble, physical trouble. And maybe for you, it's the loss of a loved one. Um, we've already talked about South Texas, but you don't have to go down there to know someone or be someone who's suffered that. So that's the worst day, and almost a guarantee, it was the day also, the same day, of indescribable sorrow for you. I don't know what you did when you were, uh, you know, brokenhearted, but you probably do what most of us do. You poured out tears, you lamented deeply, you grieved greatly. That's just how 
our human experience goes, right? And I know I'm, I, I know I have dear friends right here at, in our family, our Grace Point family, who all of the above has described uh, life uh, for them and for, for me. Um, so my short connection doesn't need any more than that to the first church who in Acts chapter 8 is coming off their very worst day ever. They're a baby church. They're not, they haven't been around long. Uh, most estimates are months by now, but not a lot more than that. It's a baby church, and it's a young church filled with brand new believers. We're a mix. We're a mixed church. Some of you are brand new. Some of you haven't met Jesus yet. You're here because you're searching. That's great. That's great. By the way, look around you. That's 100% of everybody else here. We all started searching. And then we said, I got to find an answer because this question is not going away. I got to find an answer. And so you eventually found your way to a Christian or a church filled with Christians or many Christians, and you found yourself okay there. Didn't get scary. It didn't get weird. You actually got answers. And it was in that place that you met Jesus. Well, imagine the first church, as I refer to the church described in the book of Acts, if you haven't turned to chapter 8, do so. It's, uh, it's where we're going to spend a little time this morning. But, but these people were brand new followers of Jesus Christ. And excitement uh, had filled the hearts of this fast-growing group of Jesus followers. Um, and suddenly that, that hope had surrendered to deep uh, unimaginable sorrow. Okay? Now you're with me. Um, joy that they had felt so abundantly that I think I've often thought of myself, I've let myself sort of step into the first church, and I've imagined myself being one of those people that said, like a lot of them did, pinch me. I can't believe, I'm, we're I can't believe this is happening. <laughs> I can't. I've got a front row seat to what the Holy Spirit is doing in so many ways. We love faith reports where somebody right now, if you walked up here and said, Pastor, I wasn't a Christian a week ago, but I met Jesus. Can I, can I share it with people? I would stop right this second and let you do that. And you know why? Because I want the joy that all of us would feel and you would feel if you're that person. So I'll stop. If you want to do it, do it. Anybody? I'm not calling you out. I'm just saying if you get a, a prompting by the Holy Spirit, you come up here. All right? You just let him lead you. So the people in that day, <laughs> the church was filled with people sitting on the front row. They were pinch me people. They were, this is too good to be true. People were getting saved, people were getting healed, people were getting helped. Remember the widows? And they, they, were, they were, in the first century, there wasn't a food bank or a uh, Meals on Wheels. It was desperation time if you're a widow in that first century culture. And so the church said, in Jesus' name, we got it. We can feed you. And they did. So people were getting saved, they're getting healed, they're getting hope. And then suddenly, 
Stephen, one of their own, one of the people that had recently been recruited to manage a food pantry program for these widows, is killed. Martyred in broad daylight. If your Bible's open to chapter 7, um, it's the last six or eight verses that tell when the members of the Sanhedrin heard Stephen's words, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing, standing there at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears and yelled at the top of their voices, and they rushed at him, dragging him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, witnesses in that scene laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen freaked out, you know, announced railing judgment, promised a vicious lawsuit. No, I mean, all the things I would think to do when somebody does, they don't even have to throw real rocks. Our instincts are to say, not here, not now, not me. But no, they... The Bible reports that he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, don't hold this against them. And, and then he prayed, receive my spirit. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. This is what we're correct to call a horrific first century hate crime. Okay? He was singled out, not because he was a big mouth or had some reason he had it coming. This is Stephen walking with Jesus, living for an audience of one, which we say here at Grace Point, and it cost him his life. That's pretty bold, isn't it? I mean, that's huge. That's reset time for some of us. Uh and um, terrible would likely have been your answer as it was theirs when someone came along and asked them, hey, how you doing today? It's where I got my title. It's the first word of my title today. Terrible. The murder of Stephen that day declared open season against Christians. People, can I say it crudely? The hunt was on. So here's the hard description of those days following Stephen's murder. No one went back to work. No one went back to their homes. Will you look as I read in chapter 8? On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. So what we're reading about here, on that day, it's, we're told, 
a great wave. I think of sneaker wave to tsunami. Okay, I think of something that's not just something that got you wet, but something that will kill you. And this great wave of persecution is, is on. And it scatters, that's the word that's used twice in what I just read. It scatters Christians everywhere. Uh, can I use words we use today? They ran for their lives. You know the hunt is on, and you're the hunted, you run for your life. That's what they were doing. All of them. They were scattered. And they were scattered as verse 2 tells us that they grieve greatly. So this isn't just the, all right, let's come up with a plan. This is people crying their eyes out, uh, fearing for their lives, grieving the death of somebody that mattered a lot to them, and, and then they run. It's all going on. And the face of fury, the one they were running from, we've been told is this misguided religious zealot named Saul. He was the one who stood by, and I don't think it's exaggerating it. On that day, we read about the people that took off their coats and laid their garments at the feet of this man Saul. Did you notice the first sentence that I didn't read in chapter 8 on purpose? It gives you this picture, a visual of him. Saul approved of their killing of Stephen. Did you read those words? There's, if I put on the look of disapproval right now, it would look like that. You know, some of you right now just started, you know, gaming on your phone and not paying attention. I'd look at you. I'm disappointed. Displeasure. I don't know. I'm trying to make it up as I go here. Um, but but um, he approved. What's that? Yeah. That's the look of somebody, this is sick, smiling at what we just read about. How do you do that? We lost a little 13-year-old in our neighborhood a couple of weeks ago. And um, it has hit home. It has rocked our community. Drive down Barrows if you haven't. Take Kleenex and make sure you feel for a moment a middle schooler's um, tragic death. There are, Debbie and I walk there a lot. We walk by it. It's on our path that we walk frequently. And we, we've seen a growing memorial. Uh, there has to be a hundred bouquets of flowers. And, um, and you see it there. It, it moves your heart. Uh, that's the right response, isn't it? That's not what Saul had on his face. That's why I say he's the face of the hunter. This somehow brought him some kind of sick pleasure. Um, only now he's, he's going door to door. We read in verse 3, house to house, dragging off men and women, hoping to imprison Christians or worse. Um, I'm just going to call him one other name. Um, 
he wouldn't disagree with me, but to Christians in the first century, he was public enemy number one. He was the guy to stay away from. Let me say something about persecution. Let's just talk about that. Um, it's horrific. Whenever and wherever it occurs. Um, but though awful, though persecution is that, it is awful. Uh, in every imaginable way, it's awful. And if you have not read the book called Jesus Freaks, you need to get a copy. Okay, just wait your turn, take it out of the library, read it, put it back, and let somebody else. It's, put, it's written by a DC Talk, a great group out of Washington, D.C. area, and uh, Voice of the Martyrs. And it's like uh, Fox's Book of Martyrs. I, that was the first book I read years ago about people that gave their lives for the gospel. But this is a much more updated. This is sort of in our generation, in our century, if you will. Not all of them, but... And it's filled with stories of Jesus freaks. These are people that are all in for Jesus, and it costs them their lives. Here's what I was about to say. Though it's awful in every imaginable way, it isn't at all surprising. Persecuted Christian. It isn't. Uh, that book reminds us of that, but this book even more so. Um, just this past week, I read an article about a, an alarming development uh, that's currently unfolding in our country. It involves the very likely overturning of Roe versus Wade, the ban against, uh, or the, the uh, permission, perm uh, the law that permitted abortion in this country. It will be overturned most likely soon. And the article was very short. It wasn't long and detailed and lost me or something, but it, it basically detailed how law enforcement nationwide is moving positioning assets in places that they expect problems. You would imagine the Supreme Court justices, most likely the ones that are going to vote for the overturn. But them, their houses, the Supreme Court itself, lots of law enforcement. And another one is clinics that are offering an alternative, like we have here in Portland that was recently um, uh, uh, ransacked, I mean, you know, targeted. There's law enforcement that's, that's moving into place there. And then houses of worship. And I went, huh? What? Are you kidding me? Worshippers? Why? Um, do you see this trend going? These are protectors of human life. All three of those that I just mentioned, if they're a, uh, a justice that's overturning it, if it's a clinic that's saying, we will find a better way than... than Abortion, and, or if it's a Bible-believing, Jesus-loving church that says abortion doesn't have a place, it doesn't, that the protectors of unborn babies are, are somehow targets of persecution. It's exactly what the article was saying. 
So I need you to hear me say, I stand with God any day, all day, every day. With what he says about life and my commitment to saying it anywhere, anytime I need to say it. And I don't say it with a club. I have never done that. I've said it with a plea, with sorrow. I'm so sorry for your difficult situation. Let's find a better way. And I still believe that. Our church practices that. We're not going anywhere. We're not going to change that focus. Um, so I, I, want, I want to share with you why I can say in a sweeping way. Sometimes I make statements that are really broad and inclusive. And when I said that persecution, as awful as it is, shouldn't be surprising, I base that on two things that Jesus said. Once when he first sent out his disciples to go tell people about him and the good news of the gospel, you are a sinner, but you can be forgiven because of Jesus. Is that good news or what? And that's it. That's the, that's the heaven we just sang about. We get that because of Jesus. That's it. That's all. That's called the gospel. So Jesus sends out his disciples in Matthew 10, and he says, I want you to go, and I want you to share about me and this wonderful news. And then at the end of his ministry, less than three years later, the last night with his disciples, he, remember they had the dinner? And they're in the upper room, and they talked about a lot of things. Talked about the Holy Spirit coming to help, and, and he repeats this same thing. Listen to these words. Um, Matthew chapter 10 is the first. I'm just going to read it to you. I'm sending you out, Jesus said, like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves. Be on your guard. You will be handed over to local councils and flogged. It means beat up badly in the synagogue. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what you'll say or how to say it at that time. I'll give you what you need to say. For it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Then it gets personal. Brother will betray brother to death. And a father, his child, and children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. I mean, just unthinkable things. You will be, he says, Jesus' words, looking at his disciples like he would say to us today, you will be hated by everyone because of me. What have we come up with in a theology that says, oh, be nice. Don't, don't make any enemies. Don't make... I'm not saying go and pick fights. I'm saying be a follower of Jesus Christ, and that will bring enough trouble your way. You with me? You don't have to pray for trouble. Walk with Jesus. And he's saying right here, you will be hated because of me. Then he adds, finally, when they persecute you in one place, flee to another. We just read about that in Acts 8. Flee to another. Truly, I tell you, you will not finish going through the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. That was the day he sent them out. Less than three years later, they came back. John 15, 
he said this. So you got to just flash forward, but imagine what they went through in between. And they come to John 15. If the world hates you, Jesus says, keep in mind that it hated me first. 1 John chapter 3 is not in your sermon notes at the bottom, so you want to put that one down. Chapter 3, verse 13, and it says this very simply, very plainly. Why do you marvel that the world hates you? In other words, why are you going, why me? No. Back to Jesus' words. If you belonged to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have... You do not belong to the world, but I've chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. There's this idea that the world's passively disinterested. No, somewhere inside they seethe. They seethe when they see a Christian that's walking with Jesus. Jesus said so in John 3. Why? Well, because it's an indictment on their darkness. That's why. I'm not making this stuff up. It's just been big on my heart. Still quoting. Remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, and didn't they? Then they will persecute you also. So, that's a hard chunk. All that in three verses. It's... uh, we witnessed the picture of terrible and the killing of, of Stephen, a man that was, we're told, filled with the Holy Spirit, walked well. Um, and because of belonging to Jesus, uh, listen to me now, uh, similar things will happen to us. I don't know what they'll look like, and I don't know when they'll start. Maybe they're underway now. But they will happen to us. Um, But I, I need you to listen more carefully to this statement than you've heard anything I've said so far. Even though terrible things will come, hear me now, please. They can be changed into terrific things by God. Your darkest, the day I had you think about at the beginning, the most difficult thing, the day that stands immemorial, it's the one that won't go away, can be changed into from terrible to terrific because of God. Amen? Okay, now, you're going to be tempted to call out, hey, pastor, that's just fanciful thinking if we don't read what comes next, okay? So everybody, I hope your Bible's still open to to Acts 8 because the next three, four verses uh, demonstrate without question the principle that I'm describing. Those who had been scattered, there's a word again, verse 4, preached the word wherever they went. I used to live in Tigard. Now I got scattered to whatever, Bend. 
It's not a bad place to go. Let me think of another one. Uh, Woodburn. No, just kidding. Okay, so um, those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention. They were riveted to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. Verse 8, so there was great joy in that city. God turned the darkest day in the life of this brand new body of believers. The darkest day he turned into the biggest and brightest outcome imaginable. We just read it. We just came from Stephen dying. We just came from great grief as they buried him. We just came from people running for their lives for fear they were next. And then we read this. They take the word of God. Terrible, I I tell you. Terrible had just met terrific. That's what we're reading about here. They went from mourning deeply, verse 2, to rejoicing greatly, verse 8. Do you see the swing? Do you see from the the darkest day I had you imagine, a God that says, I want to make something of that day that you're trying to, you're still cursing. You're trying to forget about it. You're trying to distance yourself from it. Jesus says, no, I redeem stuff like that. I want to make from the darkest day this incredible time that lets you, to use the word again, rejoice. Man, these people that were scattered, they went out, ran for their lives, and told everybody they met about Jesus. (laughs) Is that great? I mean, this is going. Um, Talk about, I think it's purposeful. I think it's part of why they, they... they, they went, and there's why joy could find its way into these eight verses. That doesn't make sense except to see that they're doing something that has eternal value. Even Gentiles, that's non-Jewish people, heard and responded to the gospel. That's why it's so strange to hear Philip went, went to the city of Samaria. When it says go down, we typically think south. Samaria was actually north. So they went by down, he means down from Jerusalem where they were and up toward Samaria on the way to Galilee in the north. So just a little sort of geography uh, notation there. I believe this has always been Jesus' purpose, by the way. He, 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 he didn't just come to reach Jews. Are you hearing me now? And I, I'm asking that because... Um, We're a church made up mostly of Gentiles. So he didn't just come for the Jews. He came for the Gentiles. Hey, y'all, newsflash. He came for the entire world. That's the deal here. Um, Remember the story of Jonah? I'm going to go there again real soon and preach deeply about it. But I've been spending time with Jonah this week. And I'm thinking, I'm Jonah. I don't, we don't call it Nineveh, we call it Portland. We do, and God says, I love those people up there. Yeah, but I don't, God. 
We have this debate going. Let it burn, you know. And God says, no, I'm, I sent Jonah. He said, no, just like you. And, he, and I had to get his attention another way. And he still smells bad from the, the belly of a whale. But I got him. And he went back there, and he did what? He shared the gospel. He told them about God. And this wicked city of sheesh, Nineveh repented. Here's one more quickly. Um, you think about uh, a man that, I'll give a quiz right now. I'll give you free coffee at cafe. <laughs> it's great coffee, Lynn Doty. Thank you very much. So um, free coffee at cafe if you can tell me um, who dominated the most pages in Genesis. Which name? And don't answer, Dan. <laughs> You're right. From chapter 30 to chapter 50, Joseph. If you want to read somebody that's mistreated, that's a great word for his life, mistreated. Then go to chapter 50. I'll save you the time, but I hope you'll read it anyway because you're curious. And you'll go there and you'll find chapter 50, verse 20. It's the 50-20 principle that says, you meant this for evil, but God meant this for good. That's the principle. That's this whole message. The devil meant persecution. Paul meant persecution for evil. He, they still do. God comes along and said, no, no, no. It's all set. I now can do good. I can now turn something terrible into terrific. You hearing me, people? I, I just... Um, this Acts 8 is about twice we're told people running for their lives are scattered. Do you realize that that is a fulfillment of Acts chapter 1, verse 8? I'll remind you, you don't have to turn there if you haven't, uh, don't have it handy. He said, Jesus said his last words, by the way, and they watched him say it as he went, where is he? He disappeared in the clouds. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you how I'm feeling it today, y'all. And you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to be my witnesses to Jerusalem, where we are, and Judea, the neighborhood around us, and where? Samaria, where Philip went, and to the utmost parts. If I read that right, this is all about phase two. It's unfolding now. They had reached Jerusalem. They had gone to Judea. And now it's time to move on. Swindoll makes this statement. Persecution dispersed the good news like pollen in the wind. As believers fled Jerusalem filled with Holy Spirit fire. 
Amen. Um, this, uh, the one that died that we got started with today, the stoning of Peter, of, uh, of Stephen, he had a buddy uh, that was part of the feeding program. Do you know his name? We've read about him this morning, Philip. They were pals. In fact, they're the only two of the seven that were elected or appointed. They're the only two that we know anything about. One died for his faith, Stephen, and one became known as the first traveling evangelist, Philip. Um, I, I want to wrap things up a couple of ways. Um, Philip went to Samaria, and not by accident. Um, he went there because they were receptive to the gospel. I'm not advocating we kick down doors if they don't listen. We get a megaphone and scream louder. Jesus said elsewhere, no, share the gospel. They, they respond. They surrender if they bow their knee, then you've won them. If, if they don't, move on. They're not receptive. Philip went to Samaria because they were receptive. They, they listened. They embraced the gospel. He stops there. But um, I can't get past verse 8 because do you see the word that city or the expression at the end of the passage we read? He's talking about Samaria here. So because Philip went, phase two was implemented, and the gospel went north to Samaria. Um, there was great joy in that city. Can I say something about Jesus who tells us in Luke 15 that every single time in 2022, it's still true. Every single time, a single sinner repents, there is what in heaven? Great joy. Here's Samaria, a microcosm of that. Philip goes there, shares the gospel. The people go, of course, I want Jesus. I'll take two scoops. I want, I'm all in. And there was great joy in the city. The same way today, if you're one of those seekers, you came in here, I talked to you about, I talked about you or tried to talk to you gently this morning when you walked in, when I started. You might be that person that says, you know what? I, I got nothing holding me back anymore. It's time for me to come to Jesus Christ. And if you do, Jesus reports in Luke chapter 15, in that moment, there is, you can't quite hear it unless you listen carefully, there is great rejoicing in heaven. For a single one, not a whole city. You don't need a whole city for you. How is that possible? I'll tell you how. It's the Holy Spirit who, who it's his specialty. He takes terrible and makes terrific. Um, there's a risk that you'll say, I've heard that verse a thousand times, Pastor. And I'm going to say a verse that explains this whole truth. 
It's Romans 8, 28. You want to help me with it? And we know that God causes all things to work together for the good to them who love him and are called according to his purpose, right? If it's not quite familiar for you, get a hold of it. It's a powerful truth that we've been talking about here this morning. It fits our lives today as well as it fit the people it was being reported to in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. Um, he works all things. Yes, even awful things for the good. King David had something of a hint of this truth in Psalm 30, verse 5. He says, weeping may last through the night, but what? You got it. You all are on it. But joy comes in the morning. I cry a lot of tears, but I'm glad they don't last. I'm glad there's a smile the next day. Um, and can I just make sure we're connecting on something that's at the core of all of this? Could, couldn't we say that the worst day ever was the day Jesus Christ died? I call it Good Friday for reasons that are complicated. It's the worst day ever. And, and, and it was Jesus dying on a cross, yet it was followed in one, two, three days by the best day. Ever. He rose from the dead. And, and ask anyone who turns to Jesus from terrible and hear their story of how God has brought about good and even terrific. And it's because of Jesus. I'd like you to bow your heads with me as we wrap up our time together. Um, I... Um, I'm grateful that you were able to persevere. It's very hard to hear a, a, a pastor, a communicator sound heavy. And I tried to give you moments to breathe along the way, but my heart um, is sensitive two ways today. Um, I'm aware of the fact that some of you, some of us are living in terrible right now. Can I say a word to you who are joining us live stream and have been part of our gathering today? You might be in a place it's actually not, it's less known than somebody suffering in this room full of people here. But it's hard for you and terrible is part of what you're going through. I want to plead with you to turn to Jesus Christ and he will, he's the one, the only one that can send misery packing. He's the one who can dry tears and drive out troubles because he's the one who has a promised plan and place for all of his people that he described this way in Revelation 21. Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. And if this isn't personal, I don't know what to call it. He will wipe every tear from their eyes.
And there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things will be gone forever. If you need Jesus Christ, you've never turned to him, now's the time. You can ask him to come into your heart to repent of your sins right now and say, Jesus, they've blocked the way for me to have a relationship with you. But I realize that you came to forgive my sins, to pay the price that was owed on those sins, to come into my life and turn terrible into terrific in my life. If you're, if you're doing that right now, if you're live streaming, don't, don't click off. Tell, the, tell our team. Just text them right now. Email them. You can respond right now. You in the house, don't leave here. Come forward when the Lord prompts you to. Maybe after the service. Wait, I'll be hanging out here. Leaders will be here. Let's talk about this. It's that important. We're going to finish with a great song, Speak to the Mountain. Listen to this, these words. Listen for these words as we sing it. There's no mountain too high, no valley too low. No fear that I have that he doesn't already know. No problem too big and no weapon too strong. There is nothing for God that's impossible, including saving your soul. So turn to him today. Let him do the work of turning terrible into terrific.